0: Our next speaker is Mr. Mick Wallace. Madness. 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 This is madness. We cannot fix a problem caused by capitalism with more capitalism. They hurt the people. I ended up at the end of a gun yeah. on three occasions. I don't want to survive anyway.
1: Madame Deliridge, speech. A union which allows fiscal run- to be broken for arms expenditure but not for housing or to put roofs over the heads of people This is evidence of police violence Whether you're an economic migrant or you're an asylum see- Nobody deserves to be treated like this And even having the net To suggest separating people from their mothers How dare you They don't need us to kick them around the place You could say, so what? It's the Police in riot gear we're trunch I am ashamed to call myself a European The recognition of Guaido Unelected country Is an absolute embarrassment
2: now, you did use the word gobshite, so uh, uh, I would direct reprimand you over them. Hello, 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 and welcome back to I for Sea Trouble with Dalian Wallace. We're back in Brussels. You had a lonely time on your own there last time I heard you back in Strasbourg. Speaking. Oh, I think we
1: called throughout you, really. I know, yeah. yeah, yeah coped a bit we too did, well, we, I have we, to we so, say. So, we I'm soldiered on.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, um, nice episode, yeah. Um, you spoke a lot about uh, North Stream, the earthquake but uh this episode it's now the 21st of february we're coming up to one year on exactly since uh the invasion of ukraine there's a lot still to process to comment on uh, a lot of developments still and i guess we need to think about stop and think a little bit about what's happening and where we're going claire um yeah Strasbourg I think we week just th- happened there we had a resolution there on the oh, year f- on ukraine What do you think? Well, I think we thought that this
1: episode should be one for more of reflection uh, a year on as people all across Europe will be gathering for peace rallies taking places in cities all over the continent. And while they probably won't be on the scale of the Iraq war, I think they will be sizable in a whole number of countries. And we've been invited to participate in many of them in in London, in Portugal, uh, in Italy, in Italy. And, yeah, it's it's good to see people on um, beginning to, to take to the streets on this because the voices for peace now have to be heard louder than ever. And I think we have noticed that there has been a bit of a shift in the media now with some more critical articles creeping in, like there was a, an article in The Irish Times today, that bastion of liberalism, which has been to the forefront of warmongering and cheerleading the war now featuring more uh, considered pieces like Fintan O'Toole wondering where is this all going to end up and does the West have an exit game and we need to start looking at some of these things. So that's not unimportant that that's happening. I suppose it's a little bit regretful that they're making that leap without following who said what for the past year. So suddenly now I suppose they're adopting much of the arguments that we've put forward throughout the past year Uh, without getting any credit for that. And those who were saying the opposite, who were doing glory to Ukraine, let's, you know, arm them to the hilt, carry on the war, then basically ensuring that the war would go on are allowed comment like that without their comments ever being held to account. And I suppose it was interesting in the context of Winegate this week, mix uh, (laughs) problems, the story that wasn't. And when you um, compare the analysis of the Irish media, the hours of energy and scrutiny spent in chasing what was actually a non-story. And it all started by a minute examination of somebody else's tweet that or TikTok thing that Mick was featured in. So a, a big conversation that he was involved in, somebody took a piece out of that, put up a TikTok where inaccurate comments were in it where Mick was saying he owned three wine bars in it. Um, And then suddenly that became a huge, massive story about um, did he own wine bars? Well, they knew he didn't really own that. But then had he registered everything when he was in the doll? And it followed, obviously, on the scandal of, I suppose, Pascal Dunhu not declaring stuff, Damien English. And I think they thought there was a big story here. But, you know, I think it's so sad that they went to that level of scrutiny on something like this, starting from a, when all of the social media posts, all of the comments we do, like Mick had a video that week, which was viewed by, by five million people, like mm-hmm. from his work in mm-hmm. the Irish, in, in, in the European Parliament. Nobody mentioned that anywhere. Um, and I think Irish politicians are getting away <coughs> with murder. So there do, there really is a shabbiness there about this whole thing that's actually quite sickening, really. Yeah,
0: yeah well... Uh I hadn't heard the word Winegate before. Well, I just made that up now. You know, it's a good one though. Thank you. (laughs) And it reminded me of Watergate, which was a great story. Uh, Better story than mine, really. But look, as you said, uh, obviously I I was wrong to say I owned the bars. But I I tried, I I was on South East Radio yesterday morning and I explained to him, you know what, I often say that I have wine bars in Dublin because I kind of feel like I have them. But I don't own them, right? And I haven't owned them for over 10 years because the banks took them And sold them to investors. And I've never, I don't even know what investors bought them. I've never met them. I don't even know their names, right? So they've been owned by investors for years to have, right? Now, obviously, I didn't have any shareholding in them after uh, I went bankrupt because I wouldn't have been allowed to have shares. Uh, and I was made bankrupt not by the banks but but by Cerberus Capital the US Vulture Fund who I exposed for paying a 15 million bribe to get Project Eagle from NAMA and uh, they they said they were going to sort me out and get me and uh, they actually managed to make me bankrupt they managed, they managed to uh, to make me change the Wexford Youth's name to Wexford FC and uh, they also got me struck off from being a director. But anyways, uh, so all the, the, the media query then was, oh, does he own wine bars and if he does, did he, he never declared them. So, uh, they actually thought then, well, maybe he does own wine bars and he never declared them. So, then it dawned on me, I actually get a small bit of money off the lads right and mm-hmm. they're friends of mine three yeah. Italians and two Irish people who I'm connected with one of them is related to me and one is a very good friend and uh, it turned out then that I, I said you know I do get a small bit of money and someone said did, did you ever register that I said oh no I didn't and I didn't right and mm-hmm. that was an over, that was wrong of me because you should register right but uh, and I wasn't sure uh, when I even how long I've been getting the money off of them and I kind of figured to myself mm, maybe 2018 or something Uh and there was a question on, on the, um, the the Parliament questionnaire about whether I'd been getting money before I went to the Parliament, mm-hmm. and I said oh, just to be on the safe side, I better put down that I was. Yeah. But when I uh, all week I had I could I couldn't uh, I couldn't access the figures yeah. because uh, my auditor was was on holidays, and uh, I couldn't actually get the figures. And I, but I eventually got them right, and I discovered that I didn't get the first payment until. August 2019, after I was elected to Mm. the European Parliament, and I've got some. uh, So it's 42 months since then, and in that time period, I got an average of 53 euros a week from the wine bars before tax. Right now, and Irish media went into a tailspin. Mm. Now they were very disappointed that my doll record ended up being correct, Mm. and I didn't have to create that at all. Because uh, I actually wasn't getting any money while I was in the doll, so uh, obviously I'd been cor- I corresponded with with the Aractus. Uh, I've also corresponded with the official assignee because there's a small issue there. Uh, just uh, it's better that I inform him of it. Yeah. So uh, I've done things as as I'm I'm supposed ha- has to do. The but it was said anything. No, no, and uh, the obviously. Uh, some of the right mags at home were making a big deal over the left group being up in arms with me again and <laughs> uh, and that, that the, the, the co-chair um, Manon uh, Aubrey uh, was, was all going to sort this out whatever right I, I, I met I seen uh, Manon every day uh, this week in the European Parliament and she never said boo to me <laughs> uh, so I don't know what the hell the independent were on about Uh I mean so no, but
2: there is definitely an attempt you see it in loads of articles where they try and portray both of you as some kind of vilified duo in this left group making loads of trouble. Now if you look at just even the votes and everything you'll see that the group follows your indications on loads of things. You're actually not really a minority at all the way they go on. There's it's kind of trying to run that narrative as well which is totally not true like.
0: Yeah and I mean people should understand as well that um we're we're probably uh, more the face of the group than anybody in that we speak more than anyone else in the group. Uh, we probably get more uh, media coverage across Europe than uh, anyone else in the rest of the group. Uh, so in actual fact, we're playing a pretty constructive role in the group mm-hmm. at present. Totally, uh, but yeah. obviously Irish media have had their own agenda and trying to make out as if, uh, oh, we're, we're a problem all the time. But listen, I mean, the one common trend here all the time is that we have the Irish media uh, totally taking things out of context, uh, saying ridiculous things, uh, speculating, attacking just about anything we have to say, making us out, because we were working for peace, we were called Russian puppets. How were we Russian puppets if we weren't supporting Russia? And we condemned Russia's war and Russia's invasion. Um, but the media, I mean, it's like as if they're afraid we get re-elected. I mean... Uh they're pretty pitiful uh, I've never actually seen quite behave quite so bad as in the last uh, year in particular, last two years, I suppose. Um, but I mean, my God, they're so disappointing. Well,
1: I think a lot of it is the ignorance about the procedures around here. And I mean, you're right. You should have declared it as it turned out, even though it's a small amount of money. I mean, people might find it interesting that one of the more <coughs> senior politicians here in the European Parliament, a guy who was defence minister in Poland, big week in the EPP, the group that Finnegale is in with Sikorsky, He has on his conflict of interest form that he gets 100,000 euros a year from UAE for lobbying. And there's absolutely no problem with that. Mm. Absolutely none whatsoever. No yeah. conflict because he has oh, it on well, the phone. He's actually getting the money for consultancy. Consultancy, right, whatever. And what I'm saying is that you give a bit of advice to the wine bars for 53 euros a week before tax. And they keep your name. Well, that's, that's what has right. the
0: average now has over the yeah, 42 months.
1: That's what you've got to date. So what I'm saying is, is that in the scale of things, this idea, there's nothing to sort out. You should have declared it. You have declared it now, but the idea that this requires big scrutiny is just absolutely ridiculous. And I mean, the wine bar story had been out there anyway. Everybody knew that. It was old hat. Um, Nothing to to see here. Much ado about nothing, really. That's what it was. Much ado about nothing. And for me, the saddest thing is that all of that time was spent on nothing. When there's so much stuff going on here uh, and no examination of it at all. And like... We're a year on into the war now, and it's very clear that the role being played by the European Union is to coattail the US in ensuring that this war goes on to just the right level to keep it going. So they're being armed to the hilt when the Leopard tanks went in. Um, Ukraine looked for more, and they look for more, and the hardware goes, in, hardware goes in all the time, and it's an open checkbook. But any of the serious military strategists will say Ukraine can't win this. Russia can't win this. This is an unwinnable war militarily. So they're only keeping it going. And all of those who say, as the European Parliament motion, which we debated last week, said is Ukraine must win. Ukraine can win. The people who are saying that are condemning the ordinary people of Ukraine to be cannon fodder in an endless war and Russians, fellows. To be cannon fodder in that as well and that is just simply unacceptable. It's a nonsense but as Mick says anybody who says that is a Putin puppet. Mm. Now that's beginning to change. The media are beginning to change it but I'd like to hold to account all of those people including Irish politicians who get up and do glory to Ukraine because they're the ones who've condemned those young fellas to die like. They're the ones who basically stopped a peace deal being brokered last April which subsequent to that we've had six cities slaughtered, four provinces illegally annexed, tens of thousands of people killed, uh tens of billions of death voiced on the shoulders of Ukrainians, and yet they want this to still go on now, the, the, the I,
0: I was in the um, I was a shadow for the group yeah. uh, on the resolution on Ukraine, um not for the first time mm-hmm. and um, well
2: you're the standing shadow for yeah, the group. So, yeah
0: so um well, this is where we, we had to come up with a resolution, right? And we actually came up with a resolution and there was loads of things in it that we didn't really agree with ourselves. But in the spirit of compromise, we were trying yeah. to get all the group on board. This uh, is, uh, sorry, uh,
2: I'll just explain that. This is the resolution of the left group. So you're the, the negotiator for that, bringing together the whole group and you came together with a common text and then that's the mandate you had then going into negotiations with the other groups to have this Common yeah. text, which was
0: voted. Yeah, so all, yeah. all the other groups in the yeah. Parliament then, EPP, Renew, S&D... Uh, they all, all do their the own texts, so, yeah. Like, we sit around the table, so there's seven of us, right? And uh, then we tease out that resolution, right? Uh, obviously, look, at uh, I ended up uh, disagreeing with nearly everything they were doing, right? But, I mean, I, just... Uh, just to pick one amendment, we we ended up then putting in amendments for some of the debates that we had in the room saying, okay, well, we'll amend that then because this is ridiculous, right? And this is a terrible position for the Parliament to be taken and we disagree completely with you. So we'll put in an amendment and hopefully we'll get enough support for it, right? But I mean, just like for one of them, right? It was actually Amendment 7 and the the, the resolution that the Parliament was saying uh, underlines that the main objective for Ukraine is to win the war against Russia, right? Now, we changed that and we said that the main objective for the EU is to ensure peace in Ukraine,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? Now, we honestly think that peace should be the primary objective, but they actually they're saying that the primary objective is to win the war against Russia,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and listen, they don't seem to care how many. Ukrainians are going to die, and people keep forgetting, right? That it isn't Zelensky or, or his mob or his oligarch friends that are dying in the war, or the, the rich or the middle class, right? Poor people die in war. They're the ones who uh, end up being recruited to the army, end up being uh, uh, lined up conscripted, right? And mm-hmm. uh, so only poor people are dying, and. It's and, okay, and we're sitting in the comfort of the European Union and we're saying that Ukraine has to win the war and that's the only
2: end that we can have, yeah. right? In the meantime, uh, thousands keep dying. Mm, and that that's an interesting one in particular because when you were negotiating the text, um, I was in the room at that point, I came in and it was just when you were speaking and you just asked all the other negotiators from the other groups and you said... Is the EU's objective for the for Ukraine to win the war, or is it the objective that to end the war that the war's ended? And they were all sitting there, sitting back on their chairs. No one really responded. Some of them, a, bit, a few scratching their heads a bit, and then they just kind of little, few little things, and then moved on. They didn't actually come back to you about should, they, should what is the EU's objective? Do you know? Yeah,
0: I, so, we put in our amendment anyway, right? And as you know, there's over there are 705 members in the European Parliament. Now, sometimes there's, there's generally about 40 or 50 missing. Now, what we've had a lot of late is a whole lot of people in there not voting. But just for uh, the public knowledge, right, the people, we were saying that the priority should be to ensure peace in Ukraine. 42 out of the whole place vote for that. 42. Now, get your head around that. Out of, 700, yeah. out of, out of the 700 MEPs, yeah. right? Now, they, they weren't all there, there was, but there was about 555 or something there, or mm. 655, I think, it was there. There, there. Some people don't vote, but 42 vote for that. I mean, mm. Europe is in a bad place. Well,
1: you see, I think the debate is being spun that if you say Ukraine can't win, it's like you're saying what people hear is, oh, you want them to lose. Um, because they see win and lose as the only shows in town. They also, it's inferred that you're implying making big concessions for Russia, that you just want that, uh, lead things the way they are, that Russia will get loads of this ex- extra territory and that isn't right. Now, nobody is saying that, but the simple fact of the matter is, is that last April there was a deal on the table which would have seen Russia withdraw to pre-February 2022 boundaries in return for non-NATO membership and and neutrality from Ukraine, and they would have withdrawn. And Ukraine were interested in that, but the West didn't have their back. The West, Boris Johnson and NATO rocked into town and basically said, no, keep fighting, where you you can't accept that deal, and the consequence of that was actually more loss of territory. So when we argue for peace and an end to the war, it's actually protecting Ukrainian territory, not sacrificing it. But it's amazing and protecting how they
0: Ukrainian they, of lives.
1: Of course, of course, and it's just spinning it into its opposite. And where's our critical media dissecting this? They're just jingoism. It's just sloganeering, but it's the casualties of that sloganeering are just disgusting. Like yeah, but.
0: I mean, behind all this, the the slavish acceptance of the U.S. imperialism mm-hmm. NATO narrative by Irish media is scary. It's something that people actually don't think about. Uh, everything is biased in how they're presenting things. That that's not how media should work. Mm-hmm. Uh, there should be uh, there should be an, an uh, proper analysis and let people make up their own minds and, and give them the facts. Uh, from all sides, and let the people make up their minds instead we 're getting this totally biased narrative as if uh, what whatever u uh, s NATO says goes, and uh, that 's it that 's the gospel, and uh, anyone says otherwise is a is a monster
1: yeah, I mean, we had another motion here, like they say they care about the people of Ukraine. But we amended another motion, which was about solid, you know, praising correctly the solidarity shown by EU citizens to the people of Ukraine, arguing to continue that arrangement to allow Ukrainians to flee to Europe, which is true. But we included a clause in that, that that should include men in Ukraine who are fleeing conscientious objectors who are freeing the war, fleeing the war, sorry, um, students and so on who wanted to carry their studies. Only... 84 people voted for that and 390 people voted against that. So basically they voted against allowing conscientious objectors and military age young men leave Ukraine. That's what they were voting for. And Barry Andrews, Billy Kelleher and all of these Irish MEPs voted to deny Ukrainian young men the right to leave uh, and seek asylum in the West, condemning them to their deaths. So these are cheerleaders for war. They have the blood of young men on their hands and they say they're the saviors of Ukraine. Well, God Almighty, with saviors like that, I can tell you, um, is it any they, they wonder that Ukraine, Ukraine is in, in tra- <laughs> they're standing with them and not in the trenches, mind <laughs> you. They're standing, locking the barricades as they go to spend whatever time they in their visits, in their multi, uh, you know, visits every couple of months. They're out there. I don't yeah. know.
0: It's just ridiculous. Uh, but just to clarify the, the figures, I mean, you said 84, only 84 uh, voted uh, for the people to have the right to be conscientious objectors to the war out of the 705 MEPs, and you said 390 voted against. So just to explain to people, so what you have there is then is you have a whole lot of others that abstained, you had a whole lot of others that didn't vote, and then you had a few that weren't there, about about 50 that weren't there. So, uh, and as I was explaining, a whole lot of people have stopped voting on several of the controversial issues because they're scared of the media at home because they don't want the media attacking them, because the the media is driving a narrative, not just in Ireland, but in other countries, and if you go against that narrative, you're going to be criticised. Uh, and I think it's yeah.
1: a kind of a backhanded compliment to us that our motions actually uh, resulted in a breaking of ranks from some of the big right-wing groups. So we see in a number of motions that the EPP had five abstainees on a number of the. with the five Fine Gael lads, didn't want to go with their group here, mm. uh, but they didn't want to go with us either. But it shows the pressure they were put under that they felt they had to respond. And actually, Fianna Fáil voted with some of our amendments showing that they feel the pressure to, to cover their track if you like in terms of what they're doing out of here but why isn't anybody grilling them about it I mean you had a very good motion make about EU fast track membership just basically saying there's no fast track mem- EU membership it's for Ukraine which That's, we've been yeah. saying for the past year and got condemned of it and uh, again that was voted down even Sinn Féin voted against that and ridiculous
0: I, I made when we were discussing that one uh, at the, um, the meeting between all the different groups I pointed out the fact that listen the truth is, there's no fast-track mechanism for entering into the EU. You all know that.
1: And they agreed so, with you. And they agreed
0: with me. <laughs> yeah. I said, but why won't you say it then, I said. You have been uh, disingenuous, I said, with the Ukrainians. Yeah. I said, you're leading them on, I said. You're giving them false hope. They think they're going to get in in two or three years. And you all know bloody well they won't. Mm-hmm. They have no hope of getting in, in two or three years. One of the most corrupt countries in Europe, best run by oligarchs. It's actually very similar to Russia it's a basket case and now it's getting destroyed and he's going to bring it he's, he's leading them on into thinking they're going to get hit in two or three years and he won't even say it to them there's no fast track mechanism for getting into the EU which is a fact mm. and they won't say it so I said, is disingenuous not to point out the obvious? And they said, look, we, we, know, we know that's true, but we don't want to be saying it now. Mm. Well, I think Fuck it off.
1: was one of the most corrupt countries in Europe. It was a country run by oligarchs. Now it's a vassal state of the USA. It has no independent foreign policy at all. Its country has been turned over into a battleground to basically keep the US arms industry going. Um, and then its future has been basically ransomed to US vulture funds. There was a conference the other day, I think it was at 80. Uh, companies came together to look at how they were going to rebuild Ukraine. This is just disgusting stuff yeah. like, you yeah. know, and they're, they're, they've no independent finances now. They're completely dependent on foreign aid, which future generations of Ukrainians will be paying back. And th- this is where a year on has got us. And the sad thing is, is that while all the Parliament can come up with is more arms and more sanctions, which has been the tactic to date, where is the work for diplomacy? Because that's a point that we haven't aired enough. People think, oh, peace. Oh, you're just giving up. You're blaming the victim. You're walking <coughs> away. Working p- for peace is a huge amount of work behind the scenes to get a ceasefire, to get people around the table, you know, confidence building measures. It requires a massive amount of work. And Europe shows no sign of getting onto that. Playing field, even though it's our economies that are paying the price of this yeah. war as well, you know. Now I mean,
0: it should be said as well. I mean, on on the issue of peace, I mean, Claire was saying that uh, working towards peace in the background, which it always does, done right, is a huge body of work, right. Uh, and the basic terms of a peace agreement have been fairly obvious all along, right? And it's basically what was formulated in the Minsk two agreements, right? Now, that was a situation where, I mean, France and Germany were involved, Ukraine and Russia. And the idea was that they would give a certain autonomy to the Donbass region, right because the fact that they had such a large amount of people of russian uh, ethnic background and russian speaking and they they weren't they would the donbas would stay as part of the of the sovereign country of ukraine but uh but they would be given some local autonomy. And that was agreed at Minsk too. Mm -hmm. But the Americans weren't part to it and they scuppered it, right? And sadly, France and Germany weren't strong enough to insist on it happening now, right? Now, it's been interesting that Merkel and Chirac, who were involved at the time, are now claiming that this was a bit of a, a fraud to give Ukraine a chance to build up its army and get ready for war. Now, most people actually don't believe that. And they're being being retrospective. They don't want to be accused of being uh, the biggest crime in Europe at the moment, Mm -hmm. which is being a a lover of Putin uh, or even a sympathiser. So while while Merkel actually had a very uh, reasonably good relationship uh, with Putin, she wants to deny it now because Putin has become uh, the devil. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they're they're literally actually in denial, right? Uh, But I mean, Ukraine at this stage, I mean, it does need to be neutralized. I mean, in the sense that uh, it shouldn't, in the interest of peace and security in the region, It shouldn't take military sides with anybody. It should be allowed to join the European Union when it passes the test to get into it. But Ukraine should not be allowed to join NATO. I mean, whether people like it or not, but Russia does have security concerns. It doesn't excuse them illegally invading the country. No more than the fact that we've been making the point. I mean, mean, the, the EU continually insists that this war was unprovoked. Now, they never said that the war in Iraq uh, was unprovoked or that the war in Afghanistan, Afghanistan was unprovoked or Libya was unprovoked, right? But this one was unprovoked. The only reason they're saying that is because it was provoked, right? 100% this was provoked. But that does not excuse Russia's illegal invasion, right? Uh, but it, it was provoked, right? Uh, but, I mean, there is a possibility to walk our way forward There is a possibility to work for peace, but you have to have the political will to do it. And that's not there at the moment because the Europeans are being told by the US and NATO, uh, we'll tell you when we want peace. Hmm. I'm sure the point will come sometime, but it's not there yet.
1: It's more complicated now than it was a year ago because of Russia's annexation of further regions than we were a year ago. And I think the way the narrative is posed, like that when you argue that Ukraine should be neutral, it's inferred that you're kind of, you want them weak so that Russia can come in and take them over. But the truth is the opposite. Neutrality has been the biggest protection of Ukrainian independence and it was actually when they moved away from that and started cozying up to NATO and US and doing military deals with one of Russia's enemies and That things began to unravel. I mean, Finland and so on has benefited greatly from neutrality. So we do need to defend this line about neutrality. It's not weakness. It's a great protection to states, particularly smaller states. Um, And in that context, I think it's really disgraceful to read that the Irish government are now talking about even training Ukrainian troops as part of this. My God, we're supposed to be a neutral state. They have gone from sort of providing humanitarian aid and a few jackets or something to now uh, training people for military exercises and in the same way as they try and pose this as a defensive mechanism, it's not defensive. The lads are being trained up everywhere anyway. They're being trained up to go and be slaughtered. Uh, We would be doing them a far greater service if we used our unique place at the heart of Europe and our friendly relations with the US to broker uh, an international peace agreement to get everybody sitting around the table and protect Ukrainian integrity in that regard. But this is just another slowly, slowly drip feed of integrating the Irish defence forces in with what is now increasingly NATO but still part of the European projects and we've some Irish politicians very dishonestly saying, oh I wouldn't agree with NATO now, but yes, European cooperation is a different thing, they're the same thing now it wasn't the same case before but they're the same thing now so the battle to defend Uh, Irish neutrality is is really important. And the
0: Irish media mightn't be telling the Irish public at home but NATO is a war machine it has nothing to do with peace. If there was no money to be made from war, NATO wouldn't exist, hmm. right? People need to understand what NATO is, and they have nothing positive to offer the people of Europe. They have a lot to offer the American agenda. They have a lot to offer the military industrial complex, but that's it. Hmm. And they have nothing to do with peace.
1: Hmm. Like, why weren't we? Why didn't the Irish Army defa- uh, train the people in Iraq? or in Afghanistan, why aren't they out training the Palestinians? No one would entertain that. They'd say, that would be lunacy. Well, if that's lunacy, why isn't it lunacy in Ukraine? Of course it's lunacy. Militarism doesn't defend people. Militarism attacks people. Mm. There's no defence in militarism, you know. Militarism breeds more militarism and Ireland's making a very serious mistake.
0: And and Irish politicians who are actually not in favour of Irish neutrality have always said that, oh, we're militarily neutral, but, uh, you know, otherwise we're not really neutral. We're on the side of the Americans, right? Yeah. Well, i tell you what now, if we're going to start training Ukrainians, we will not be militarily neutral anymore. Yeah. We will be directly involved in this war. What mm. a disaster.
2: Well, and the other thing is there's a whole like propaganda behind all of this from the EU and, and US just to support this kind of, Co- and consistency, which is being a neutral country, but participating in This this. So sort of, Biden was there in, in Ukraine yesterday saying, that, stating very firmly, this is a battle for democracy and all this. We've heard that now for months as well in the EU, that this is against authoritarianism, trying to make it look like some sort of just war, basically. Uh, So that's kind of trying to put Ireland in a weird position, but no one's kind of challenging that. I think the
1: sheen is beginning to come off and and like there are protests this weekend in in Dublin and that as well, which is good. And I think that flag has to be flown and people are questioning and we find regularly we get people from all over Europe uh, getting in contact with us and thanking us for flying the flag of peace and for challenging uh, the narrative, and there is such an audience there for that. People are looking for answers. They're just afraid to raise their heads. But as time has gone on, it's more... There's been a huge shift. There's a huge shift even in the attitude of the German parlamentar- parliamentarians. It hasn't maybe shifted in terms of votes fully, but even what they're saying has been toned down a bit. There'll probably be very big, big demonstration in Berlin this weekend, mm. I think, which will frighten them big time. Uh, big changes electorally out of this as well, that's bound to be making them nervous, yeah. uh, you know.
0: Yeah, no, we, we've noticed a difference uh, with a lot of the German MEPs. They're pulling in their horns a bit, the hawks. Mm. Uh, they're not quite as loud as they were. Mm. Uh, they've, they're starting to cop onto the fact that, you know what, this isn't what the people of Germany want. Mm. The people of Germany don't want war. They've had enough of that. Mm. Uh, they, and There's just... This, this is developing into a horror scene and I pointed out in the, in the, in the plenary last week uh, I said whatever happened to Germany the jewel of Europe mm. an amazing country I said you started off by giving uh, the Ukrainians helmets and now you're sending tanks in to kill, kill Russians mm. I said my god I said they uh, were
2: the ones that he made the point that they were the ones who just a year ago were saying that peace in Europe would be peace with Russia not, and not, Russia. not yeah, Russia yeah,
0: so. Russia is part of Europe and and we've pointed out on several occasions, <clears throat> with the dissolution of the Soviet Union in nineteen ninety one, that was a brilliant opportunity to bring a Russia under the umbrella of Europe, a peaceful Europe. And Russia wanted to be part of it. But it turned out that NATO didn't want them to be part of it. And there, because there's no money in that crack. <laughs> there's money in war, there's no money in peace mm. so NATO have actually fought against the idea of bringing Russia under the European peace umbrella mm. my god, people need it's terrible that our media will not inform the, the, the people about what's really happening and put, why aren't our media putting things in context, you'd never hear them talking about the fact that, and, and again it doesn't excuse the war but since 2014 the Russian gov- or the Ukrainian government killed fourteen thousand of their own people in the Donbass region. Fourteen thousand, and we hadn't no a word to say about it. Why? Why don't we report? Do we not report uh, all the news? Only some of it. We select it. We filter it.
1: Yeah. Well, it's what we always say, that these matters will be resolved by ordinary people getting organised, not by the media, and not by the political establishment. And in that context, it was great to see the initiative taken by activists, grassroots activists in the Ireland for All uh, um, march in Dublin last week, which was uh, a march (laughs) against government policy. Uh, in relation to migration, to defend the right of all refugees to be welcome, but very clearly to make a stand against the apartheid nature of the Irish immigration system is making, you know, Ukrainian refugees okay, anybody not Ukrainian, not okay that their policies and their lack of, of ability to deal with the housing crisis, their failure to end direct provision, they are fueling racism in working class communities because they're putting huge groups of, of refugees and asylum seekers into working class communities where the infrastructure is not there to support them. And then on their high horse, they're turning around and going, oh my gosh, these Irish people are very, very racist. That's not on now. You shouldn't be like that. Uh, and this is seriously dangerous stuff because it's given fertile breeding ground now to the far right to come in who've been let down by these middle class liberal do-gooders who do no good; they just do harm, actually. Uh, and they're the ones fueling this mm. this dangerous situation on the ground. Yeah, and, and
2: the Greens are there with their, with they their have banner. Some neck, <laughs> the
1: Green, an anti government protest, and they come uh, on that. They want their cake and they want to eat it as well. Sake, oh, yeah. They were always like that. Yeah,
0: but I mean, the government said that they're against racism. But in actual fact, racism is starting with the government. When they decided to treat Ukrainians different to the other uh, refugees looking to come in. Uh, and we have two tiers. That's mm. racism. Yeah. So uh, is it any wonder that there's racist sentiment uh, rising? Which is really shocking. But I mean, it's starting with the government all refugees should be welcome regardless of their nationality, their colour, their skin or their religion. We should have the same approach to all refugees.
2: Um, So to wrap that up then on Sunday in Brussels at one o'clock is when people are marching at the North Station. It's going to be a load of different other places around the world. Um, Mick?
0: Yeah, look, there's going to be protests all across Europe um, and just highlighting the fact that while the politicians and the mainstream media are all for keeping the war going, uh, the majority of the people uh, want peace, not war. And there's a Stop the War rally for peace uh, in Dublin. It's actually at, uh, starting at the Spire in O'Connell Street, uh, the centre of Dublin, at 1pm on Saturday, February the 25th. So people, okay. as many people as possible should So g- that's uh, Saturday, there.
2: the one in Brussels is Sunday. Okay. Any parting words? All the best. <laughs> <Ever>. <laughs> Bye-bye. Good luck.